Well, good morning uh, today, as you have seen, and as you have heard, and as you have sung. Uh, this is Palm Sunday. Today is a day where churches all over the world reflect upon and celebrate the beginning of what is known as Holy Week. So like many churches in the world, we are going to be reflecting upon one of the stories that is actually found in all four of the Gospels about the Sunday before Jesus was to go to the cross and die for our sins. I'll be reading in a minute from Matthew 21 about Jesus entering into Jerusalem. But before I do, let me say something about this passage that I think fits well with what we as a church have been looking at during the season of Lent. If you have been with us at all for the last few weeks, you might know that we've been talking about the Christian disciplines. We've been looking at topics like scripture meditation, prayer, giving, and so on, and how these habits and disciplines help us grow in maturity, faith, and wisdom. And I think our passage today, which relates to Palm Sunday, also relates to an important Christian discipline that we must practice. There's much to talk about today from Matthew 21, but one of the major themes that we can see and apply to our life is the discipline and practice of worship. That the Christian discipline is we need to give God the worth that he is due. So I hope with that in mind, as we look at this passage together, we will see ways that we can worship our God and our King. So I'm going to be reading for us from Matthew 21. You could follow along in your order of worship. You could listen as I read, or you could find it in your Bible. But Matthew 21, beginning in verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went out before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. This is God's word, and it is given to us for our good. Let me pray for us as we begin. Father, we do praise you as our King and our Lord, and I pray that you will meet us today through your word and through your spirit to point us to your Son. Father, we know some of us in this room are struggling with our faith. Some of us in this room are apathetic in our faith. Some of us in this room are celebrating you and enjoying a relationship with you. Maybe some of us are unsure what we know about you or believe. <clears throat> Father, we pray for each person here. Thank you that you know them each, and you know our hearts. We ask that you meet us in this time as we hear from your word. In your holy name, amen. Well, many of you know that I recently returned from a short-term missions trip to the beautiful country of Haiti. 
I was there at a medical missions trip for a little over a week, and it was a wonderful opportunity that I was very privileged to be a part of. One of the things that we would do is we would go to these various villages all around Haiti, and we would set up these kind of pop-up medical facilities. Often they were in some of the churches that we were supporting as they lead in these villages. Well, I was in charge uh, of intake at these clinics, which meant I took people's blood pressure, their weight, and their temperature. I was also the first person that these patients would see before they would go to a nurse or a doctor. Often, after many hours of waiting, the Haitians would come up to me and, through a translator, would begin telling me what was wrong. They figured that I had a medical background and that I could help their ailments. I have no medical background, and I have no way of helping anyone in their ailments. And at times, this was overwhelming to me. At times, it was hard, especially when the moms were coming with their little children and pointing to them and asking for help that I couldn't give them. They expected more from me than what I could give. They assumed something about me that was wrong. You know, let-down expectations or wrong assumptions are found here in our passage this morning, even if we don't see it directly. Wrong assumptions about who Jesus is and why he came is a part of this story we're going to look at today. There are, there's no doubt that wrong expectations of Jesus happened in Matthew 21 from his disciples, from his critics, and from the crowds around him shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, son of David. No doubt there were folks in the crowd that day that longed to be amazed and awed by Jesus again. You could read in the Gospel of John that just before this account, Jesus healed Lazarus, raised him from the dead, and no doubt there were people in the crowds that wanted to see something cool and amazing again from Jesus. No doubt there were folks in the crowd who wanted Jesus to come in power and overtake the Roman government. People that were longing to have the oppression that they faced be removed by Jesus. No doubt there were followers of Jesus in that crowd that were going to be disappointed with Jesus at the end of the day. And there is no doubt some of you in this room today right now disappointed in what Jesus is doing in your life. When it comes to faith, when it comes to Jesus, there are often wrong expectations and assumptions that affect what we believe. Related to this, I just recently finished a podcast called Hinged. And in this podcast, it was a pastor and an atheist that met together to talk about faith. And on the last episode that I just listened to, the pastor asked the atheist if he had changed any of his views because of all the hours that they had put in on this podcast. And I appreciated that the atheist was honest and truthful and said no. He had not changed his views on God. And he said one of the main reasons why is because of the absence of God in people's lives. This man said that the idea that a God would be absent in the face of a horrific suffering in our world and in our lives makes him say, I cannot believe in that type of God. Look, I understand what he is saying. It is hard at times when we see pain and suffering in our lives, in the lives of people we love, in our city, in our world, and wonder if you are good, God, 
Where are you? It is hard at times when we expect God to show up in a certain way and we just don't feel that he does. It is hard when we have expectations of what it would look like for God to be present in our lives and our expectations are not met. It is hard when we want a certain kind of God, a certain kind of Savior, a certain kind of helper, and he does not come in the way that we expect. You know, at the end of this account in Matthew, there's a question in which I entitled this sermon. Who is this? Who is this Jesus? Who is this king? Who is this leader, this Messiah? Now we're going to see in a minute that Jesus was very intentional to answer the question, he is a king. That is who he is. But the question that we must ask is what type of king does Jesus show himself to be? And how does this compare to the type of king the crowds and the followers wanted him to be? These are great questions for you and me to ask today as well. As we arrive in Jerusalem with Jesus, what are our expectations of him today? What do we want him to be for us? Or another question we can ask is, what type of king do we create in our mind of who we think Jesus is? Is he still our king, even when we face struggles and doubts and pain? Is he still our king even if we don't feel like our needs and our desires are being met? Is he still our king even if it seems like the agenda that we have for our lives never gets fulfilled by him? The entrance into Jerusalem portrays Jesus as king and defines the significance of his kingship. And hopefully as we begin Holy Week together, we can be honest with who we think Jesus is, what we think he came to do, and what our response should be. So our account today begins with Jesus about two miles away from Jerusalem, near the Mount of Olives. And he stops and he sends two disciples to go into a village to collect a donkey for him to ride. Now nowhere else in the stories of Jesus do we ever see him or his disciples riding any sort of animal. The disciples and him seemed to walk everywhere they went up until now. Why now? Was Jesus just really tired that day and needed a break? Was Jesus just needing to relax his legs? This was a deliberate gesture by Jesus as he enters into Jerusalem. I mean, think about it. Among the crowds of pilgrims on foot walking towards Jerusalem, someone on a donkey would be noticed. Among the thousands and thousands and thousands of people that headed into Jerusalem for Passover, which is when this was happening, it would have been easy for Jesus and his disciples to arrive without drawing much attention. But Jesus did not come at this point to slip in quietly into Jerusalem. The time of concealment is now done. Jesus always had a plan in place of when and where and how he would reveal himself as a king. And this is when he begins to show the people this reality. Jesus deliberately presents himself as a messianic king as he enters into Jerusalem. And look, whether he made plans ahead of time to secure this donkey, 
or just supernaturally he knew that there was a donkey and a colt that he was going to be able to use for this ride? One thing we can see consistently in the Gospels for this account is that Jesus was in control. That Jesus had a plan. That Jesus was following a script. Jesus clearly wants others to see him as a king. And that's why he allows the crowds to, in a sense, roll out the red carpet. To put cloaks on the road, to cut off branches and place them on the road. This has been done throughout history when a king rides into town after victory. And the welcoming words that were shouted to Jesus, Hosanna, the son of David, was about as explicit as it could be. Here was Jesus riding into the city that a thousand years before, King David had made his capital for his kingdom. And now Jesus is being labeled and acknowledged as a king. And the words Hosanna, it literally means save, please. It comes from the Psalms, and it could be understood as a literal prayer. The crowds crying out to Jesus for them to be saved. Or it could be an acclamation about Jesus. God saved the son of David. Which this would be like something you might be familiar with. God saved the queen. Or God saved the king. Maybe they were shouting, God save the son of David. Well, whatever they were shouting and the reasons for shouting, Matthew makes it clear in verse 5 that what he was doing was fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah, which was our Old Testament reading that Eve read this morning. But like I've already said, the expectations of this king are not being met by the folks in the crowd there. Jesus is king. Jesus is royalty from God. He comes as a king, but he comes not on a war horse full of power and glory, but he comes in humility and gentleness, riding on a donkey. Now, a donkey was a suitable mount for a king, but only for a king in the time of peace. And it's safe to say that many in the crowd that day didn't want Jesus to come in peace. They wanted Jesus to come and remove the oppressive power of Rome and to let them rule with him in that city. Jesus on this donkey subverts the popular materialistic and military idea of kingship. Jesus is king, but he rules in meekness and humility and service. Jesus is king, but he does not come to save by taking on power and killing others, but by losing power and dying. As we begin this Holy Week in worship, May we be reminded again of the type of king that we worship and the type of kingdom that he has brought about. You see, the disciples wanted a certain king to overthrow their enemies. The disciples wanted a king that could rule, not a king that they have to submit to. The disciples wanted a kingdom with a status of glory and power, not a kingdom of weakness and humility, of taking up the cross and following Jesus. Are we any different? Do we have expectations that we place on Jesus as king? And that's why we're disappointed, because he's not doing what we want. Related to this, uh, Bishop N.T. Wright wrote this. He said, as we arrive at Jerusalem with Jesus, the question presses upon us. Are we going along for the trip 
in the hope that Jesus will fulfill some of our hopes and desires. Are we ready to sing a psalm of praise, but as long as Jesus seems to be doing what we want? Are we ready not only to spread our cloaks on the road in front of him to do the showy and flamboyant thing, but also now to follow him into trouble, controversy, trial, and death? Brothers and sisters, are we willing to submit to Jesus in everything? Are we willing to lay before Jesus not our cloaks, but our reputations, our status, our comfort, what we want to do with our bodies, with our money, with our time? Are we willing to give those over to Jesus as King? I believe that Jesus calls each one of us in this room to follow him. But I also believe that this call is not grand and exciting all the time. I mean, just think about in this story, these two disciples being called by Jesus to go get a donkey. Doesn't seem that exciting or that important and significant. You know, often the call of God doesn't seem that significant. Often the Christian life is more like a boring journey than a processional with palm branches and singing. Often the call of God is just the simple plodding along in obedience and faithfulness. Our jobs are often mundane. Our prayer lives are often seem like a waste of time. Our church services maybe are forgettable. Our spiritual life often seems more ordinary than extraordinary. We look around and we wonder, is this it? But I want to encourage you that the plodding along in faithfulness and obedience to the King is a good thing. It is good that some of our lives are just boring obedience and faithfulness to our King. And some of you, many of you, are a wonderful example of this to me. So many of you are faithful to what God calls you to do and be. And it is humbling for me to watch you. Many of you give so much without recognition at all. Many of you serve to give God the glory. Unlike me who often serves because I want the glory. I am humbled deeply by your self-sacrifice and faithfulness. Keep it up. It is a good thing. It is great for us in this week as we reflect on Holy Week to think about we follow a king in weakness and meekness and humility. I would encourage us all this week to reflect upon the last week of Jesus' life and to see how we can follow him in what he does. Take time this week to read the Gospels about the things that Jesus did this last week on earth. We follow a king who rode in on a donkey in humility and weakness. May we grow in this humility in our day-to-day lives as we serve and love others. We follow a king who wept over the city of Jerusalem after he rode into town. A king that sees this city that, that wants him dead, and instead of resenting his enemies, instead of hating his enemies, he prayed and lamented over them. May we grow in prayer and lament like we did this morning in our lives for our city, for our world, for our enemies. May we pray and weep over the brokenness that we see around us. We follow a king 
who washes the feet of his followers, who serves rather than be served. And may we grow in service and sacrifice to the people that God places in our day-to-day lives. We follow a king who takes time to eat with his followers just before he dies. A king who wants to spend the last night in fellowship with others. May we grow in hospitality and move towards one another in relationships here, in our small groups, in our neighborhoods, to the lonely and the needy. And may we take time to worship our King with our lives. May we pray and sing and shout to our King, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. If you are a follower of Jesus today, this is what you have been made to do. We were created to worship God. We were created to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. You and I can worship God with our voices, with our bodies, and with our lives. And what I love is when we do this, when we worship our King, others will notice. When we worship and point the praise to not ourselves or our church or our own strength and ability, but to our King and our Lord and our Savior, others will wonder, who is this King? We read in Matthew that they're celebrating and worshiping Jesus, and as they come into the city, it says that the whole city was stirred up. The whole city was quaking. They wanted to know, who is this King? This is a great privilege that you and I have as followers of Jesus. We get to point others to this king. And may we never forget that that is who we are and what we were made to do. So on the last day, I was in Haiti. We were in this village, and we were wrapping up our medical trip. And it was the end of the day. We were tired. It was getting dark. And we were packing up the clinic when a woman came running in with her 18-month-old baby girl, passed out and waking to seizures over and over again. She was dehydrated and needed fluids and help. I felt helpless. I felt overwhelmed. The only thing I could do was pray and nothing more. One of the doctors called me over, though, and I'm freaking out and overwhelmed and feeling like there's nothing I can do for this child that looks like might die. And the doctor said to me, can you turn on the flashlight on your phone and shine it down on us? See, it was getting dark in that church, and the doctors and the nurses couldn't see to be able to save this child. And what they needed was a light to help them see so that they can save this child. And they did. To me, that's a great illustration of what you and I get to do in our lives. None of us in this room, none of you have the ability to save anyone. No one in this room has the ability to heal the brokenness of our city and our world. None of us in this room have what it takes to fix our own hearts, let alone the brokenness of our city and our world around us. None of us have what it takes but we can shine the light of one who can heal and fix the brokenness. 
our privilege and our responsibility is to be used by God to shine a light on who Jesus is and what he promises to do. God can and does use us to point others to the true king that can lead, to the true healer that can fix the brokenness of the world, and to the true savior that can offer salvation and life for all eternity. May this start of Holy Week be a good reminder to us of who our King is, of what He came to do, and what our response should be. Let me pray for us. Father, we do thank You for the hope we have of Your Son, Jesus. And I pray that You would meet us now as we're reminded of who You are, of what Your Son did, and of how we can respond with our lives and with our worship of the true King and Lord of all. In your name, amen.